Welcome back to another episode of the Sun Study with Steven. I am here for this next episode with one of my favorite people in the NBA media realm. Just one of the most personable people, one of the kindest people, also one of the smartest people that truly knows what they're speaking about. So I thought they would be a perfect guest uh, if they would be so gracious to spend some time to talk hoop with me. And that would be no other than Shane Young. Shane, how you doing, my guy? I'm doing great, Steven. Uh, way too kind of an intro. Got probably my favorite I've heard so far. So you, that that was awesome. But uh, way too kind, way too kind. Uh, I'm doing great, man. Just trying to soak up all this NBA action. It feels like they're just massive games every night. I mean, no matter. That's what I love about it. You know, 40 games, 40 nights, NBA playoffs. You know, first couple of rounds. There's just no days off. Indeed, indeed. And I think that's a perfect a perfect uh, way to speak about the league as a whole right now. It's just every game seems so momentous. Each series seems extremely contentious, even though even with the Sun series being dumbed down 0-2, mm-hmm. this seems just like such a very contentious, uh, just general level of competition across the league, which is what you want to see, especially in the second round. Um, all right, we're here to talk about the Suns, obviously being down 0-2 to the Denver Nuggets. So let's dive into it. So we haven't recorded here since prior to the series starting with the series preview. So let's go ahead and do a quick rundown. Mm -hmm. Um, In game one, we saw the Suns eventually lose 125-107 to in Denver. Um, Denver came out and they dictated from the jump. Jamal Murray had one of his better playoff performances in his career, which says a lot because he has a handful of pyrotechnic moments on the playoff stage and the Suns really didn't have enough of an answer. And it seemed like they were kind of guessing more so than playing to the standard that we've grown accustomed to seeing from them, especially in the Kevin Durant led rendition. And yeah, so they lost that game 125 to 107 and transitioning into game two, we saw almost a contrast in terms of the level of competition and the level of jockeying back and forth between the two teams. Um, The Suns will lose game two, on Monday, ninety-five to or ninety-seven to eighty-seven, excuse me. But just the general look and feel of the game, um, in terms of the tempo, the pace, in terms of how each team looked on both sides of the ball, it was a lot more close to what I was expecting to see in terms of the jockeying back and forth, and kind of transitioning from that. The Suns come back home to Phoenix for Game Three on Friday night, down O two. The Nuggets did nothing more than hold serve. And now it is the Suns' turn to do the same, potentially. So with Shane here, we're going to go ahead and dive into the weeds of everything, talk about the X's and O's, the matchups, the schemes, all of that fun stuff. So let's go ahead and transition into that. Shane, I'm going to start off with a question for you. Mm-hmm. What are your overall thoughts about the series at large, about any specific team or any specific player? Uh, whatever's crossed your mind, go ahead and have at it. So I think there's, I think there's been a lot from the first two games, right? Like there's, there's been moments where you're, you're looking at the film, you're like, Oh my God, like I didn't expect this or I didn't expect that. But then there are certain moments during the third quarter of game two, where, you know, it's Booker, Jokic back and forth. It's, it's, you know, Duran hitting tough shots, uh, you know, KCP gets going like it's just a heavyweight battle. And I think that quarter or really that second half, because the first half was a rock fight of game two. Right. So 
no, no team could really get going. It was just a defensive war. But I think the third quarter and 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 most of the fourth, before you know Phoenix kind of went cold. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that is more so what I expected the series to look like. Uh, mm-hmm. Just just creating awesome shots, at least for Denver. You know, Jokic on the short roll. Um, I, I feel like Denver. We didn't. I'm not saying you, but the collective we <laughs> in the NBA community. Mm-hmm. I don't think we gave them enough credit for how they. I guess how they could mold themselves defensively because I think everyone kind of looked at them as like being a pushover when you have the big, bad sons coming into town, you know, yet Booker and, and Katie and CP shot creation mm-hmm. um, and just thought that, Oh, well, Denver's going to get put in rotation and, and have to put two to the ball and they're not going to be able to recover from that. But what we've seen largely, you know, there, there have been some, uh, some dips and, and the nuggets and, maybe breakdowns uh, on some sessions, but largely, man, it's, it's the nuggets dictating the terms on that side and put when they do have to blitz or put to on the ball and, and show it, it, it feels like they are getting back to their man on the weak side on the back end and not really, not really allowing the Suns to get going or to get anything comfortable. And I think that's the biggest word for me. They're, they're making the Suns uncomfortable. And I didn't think the Clippers did that for the most year. I think the Suns were getting what they wanted, and they it was just a make or miss conundrum for them. You know, in Game One uh, against the Clippers, you know, it, it took some getting used to. But once they once they started clicking on all cylinders, man, like the, any shot the Suns wanted because of Devin Booker's absurd pick and roll hmm. creation and mm-hmm. and the way he can play make. They were getting those shots, and I think I don't think the Clippers really made anyone except for Kevin Durant because <laughs> of mm-hmm. the way they played on physical uncomfortable. But the Nuggets, man, they they're just taking so many options away and forcing you to beat them with tough twos. And I think Michael Malone had the greatest quote of the playoffs: "Tough twos don't beat us over forty eight minutes." And mm-hmm. if Denver's shot quality, Stephen is going to be just so far superior on this level to Phoenix's. I, I understand, like, you know, they held serve. They won their first two home games the way they were supposed to, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if the Suns can kind of counteract the shot quality we're seeing. I think the shot quality point is a great one that I also do feel like the Suns were finally able to neutralize in that second half, specifically the third quarter and then the early portion of the fourth quarter of game two, like you hinted at. That part of this, that part of game two looked a lot like what I was expecting to see from the series as well. Um, maybe not as slow in terms of a scoring pace. I was expecting it to be obviously between between one ten and one twenty somewhere in that range. Nonetheless, both teams jockeying back and forth. One team hits you with the jab, the other one hits you with the uppercut counter, and just kind of yeah. dancing around the ring in that respect. Um, I think. You mentioned with Jokic on the short roll and just him generally having his touch and feel on the game, both in the scoring department as well as blending in with his playmaking in the game too. I think that was something that I was expecting to see more abundantly, even in Mm -hmm. game one. And we didn't see it necessarily as much, but his impact was still... Uh, it wasn't. It didn't obviously overtake what Jamal Murray did because he stole the dance in Game One, but yeah. it was still very much found, and it was very much felt from the Suns' um, side of things. And I think moving forward, if the Suns can take the template that they used in Game Two and just have better shot making from start to finish, 
Of course, like you mentioned, the quality of shots that they're going to get is never going to match what Denver gets because on a possession-by-possession basis, it's a lot more random in terms of what's going on on their offense versus the Suns, and that naturally lends itself to their shot profile being a a little bit more unpredictable than for the Suns. Nonetheless, I think if the Suns can generate the type of shots that they were able to generate in that third quarter, in that early fourth quarter stretch, over the, over the course of 48 minutes, I think that's a way for them to inch their way incrementally back into the series. And I think maybe the biggest standout for me, and I did a film session and I actually just had a piece that got posted speaking directly to this from game two, was that in that right. third quarter, and it's, this is something that they couldn't use against the Clippers because of the physicality and the schemes and the switching and the personnel matchups and all of that stuff. The Clippers essentially took it off the table, but the Suns' quick hitters, whether it be their Chicago and Miami action with dribble mm-hmm. handoffs, even the pistol action, all of that stuff coming from the outer thirds of the floor and then working their way towards the middle thirds incrementally, I think that's the avenue for them to start finding those those little pressure points and those weaknesses within the Nuggets' defense, kind of isolating themselves away from all of the extra help and playing in space in more of a two-on-two or three-versus-three type of setting versus having the help from taggers get involved. I think if they can continue to find that blend, whether that be from their the double-drag action, which we also saw, and blending in the the handoff scenarios, bringing that context of offense to the party more consistently and just kind of playing out of that, I think that's a way for them to really, really inch their way back into the series. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on that part of their offensive process? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I do agree. We're not really seeing a lot of Chicago, not not seeing a lot of uh, getting Booker on the move before. Yeah, I feel like we're seeing more of Booker dictating at the top versus getting him on the move and then going into it, right? So I, I feel like that kind of mixing up the bag will be important. And I, I think the double drags led to some solid stuff, whether it was um, just clearing the room for driving lanes or – um, confusing the Nuggets on their coverage. But uh, something that's interesting to me is that we did see a few possessions. I, I want to say more than like a handful of Josh Akogi setting screens, be, being that screener, yes. because mm-hmm. it, it's all because Jokic is guarding them, right? Because, mm-hmm. okay, if Jokic wants to hide there, we're just going to bring your guy in the action and make you make choices. And that's mm-hmm. that's what you have to make Jokic. You have to make Jokic make decisions in those environments. And what I think that led to is, Good, good process. Like a Kogi got going downhill, but the mm-hmm. problem is, is that he, I, I don't feel like he really made the necessary decisions. I, I think he froze on a floater opportunity. He could have taken, he could have taken. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he, he made one good pass to DA, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was about four minutes left in the game and DA slammed it home. But I, I, I feel like you have to get more, uh, more positive actions out of that where a Kogi is, the man leading the charge on four on three or mm-hmm. whether it's Craig, whoever's in the game and that Jokic is guarding, you just have to get more comfortable. You have to get more reps against that and, and create good shots. And I, mean, I think I counted, you know, after Chris Paul left the game, uh, they shot one of 12 from three, like, mm-hmm. tw- you know, 12 threes after CP left, that that's 12 threes in about what? Um, 12 plus six. Yeah. 18 minutes. That's a good, that's a good formula. That's, that's, that's enough threes. I think that, you know, that you would hope to generate. But if you're making one, I mean, mm-hmm. th- th- that's just the math right there. Um, yep. I think Monty Williams even said at practice or no, he said after the game, uh, after game two, uh, you know, we need the lead hit shots. 
Like, you, yep. really, do you really hear a coach kind of say, like, we need player X, player X, player Y to do that? You know, they'll kind of do collectively as a team. But, you know, if D. Lee's going to be in the game because they need the spacing, you have to capitalize on it. You can't just be out there shooting and, and missing everything. I know it, that's reductive mm-hmm. and that's, you know, um, but basketball really is simple. KD will tell you basketball is simple. Like, yep. if you're there, if you're getting shots, you you have to make them count. Yeah, I think you made a great point, especially bringing up the Damian Lee dynamic. And it was for that exact reason with the type of defense the Nuggets run, which is so heavy on Jokic being consistently at the level and them leaning on their low man rotations. It's why I felt like one of the four between Damian Lee, Landry Shamit, um, TJ Warren, and Terrence Ross, whichever two of those four was getting the most consistent minutes, I felt like they would be that player that's going to be in that corner if it's not Kevin Durant on the opposite side of any double drag or pick and roll action that they might be running or even a handoff action where the low man, whether that be MPJ, KCP, uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, whether it be any of those guys peeling in to help on the agent's uh, role, I feel like there would be a lot of opportunities for the Suns to flip that corner into a pressure point where they could consistently get, I would say, at least three to four threes knocked down per game from that area of the floor. That's yeah. going to naturally add the gravity to it to where now when the Nuggets are X and out, if it's Aaron Gordon that's on Kevin Durant and KD is above the break and it's Damian Lee in the corner, he might start cheating a little bit more over to that corner. And you know better than anybody, when you start anticipating, <laughs> instead of reacting out of those rotations, that's where if Chris Paul was healthy, he could make you, he could flip that anticipation into an advantage. And Devin Booker oh, can yeah. do the very same. So I, think I was. I saw Booker do it. Uh, you know, did, to your point. He did. Mm-hmm. To your point. Before Booker's Chris got run, hurt. Yeah. Booker's running a pick and roll, uh, comes mm-hmm. off to the right wing. And I believe, who was the helper? Was it Christian Brown? It was, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he comes in to tag, and Booker just waits. He just mm-hmm. holds the dribble, takes another beat, and waits. And then he kind of, like, looks at KD in that corner. Mm-hmm. And all that, it's the eye manipulation. And I think yep. that's what Booker's biggest growth from last year. What, what year is this from? Eight? This year, eight for Book? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, from year seven to eight, that's the biggest area of growth. And and really, I mean, even if they lo- if they do lose this series, like, that's something you can – you can put in your back pocket and say, hey, we're getting better for next year. Like, I, th- I think that is awesome. Um, the fact that he's able to read those coverages and either capitalize when it comes to hitting DA after Christian Brown uh, falls for the fake and goes out to the corner or just throws a cross-court zip pass, uh, uh, skip pass to uh, to KD in the corner. So I think you're right. Like, it's it's the, manip- the ways they manipulate the Nuggets defense. It has to be more – it has to lead to more points. Like, that's just what it comes mm-hmm. down to, man. I think they're doing the right things – on, on mm-hmm. certain plays, but just not leading to a lot of uh, a lot of points because they're shooting. I think uh, let me have it here um, on wide open threes with six feet of space, five of seventeen. Mm-mm. That's not going to get it done, no. <laughs> especially against a high power, high power and high scoring team like the Nuggets. That's not going to get it done. And I think I think you made an excellent point when speaking to Devin Booker's processing speed off of double teams. Uh, that's been something, especially following the Nuggets series. That I've been I've been keeping close a close eye on. Uh, there were games earlier this season where I did film sessions where they were going against the uh, like say the Miami Heat, and you know they're ex- exotic as any team with blending coverages. They were going with switching doubles, flat out blitzes, and all of that fun stuff from Eric Spolstra. And Booker was extremely composed 
uh, which is kind of a contrast to what we saw in that in that series against the Mavericks last season around this same time. Uh, so just kind of looking at his growth over the last 365 days has been it's been wildly impressive. But I also think it's not just him. Like obviously he's the one with the ball, so it's most important for him. But in addition to him, the best way to beat any time a player has is occupying the attention of multiple defenders mm-hmm. is for not just the player on the ball to recognize the coverage, but for his teammates. So occupying those specific spots, whether that be lifting from the corner, like we saw when he hit Chris Paul on the double drag and then Chris pinged it over for a plus one to KD and he knocked yeah. down the three top side or it'd be Kevin Durant sinking into the corner from about free throw line extended just to stretch the rotations or whether that be Josh Okoji getting into the short roll, not diving too deep off of the screen, but waiting in that little pocket area just before the free throw line so that he can, so that Booker can hit him with the pocket pass while he's open and then getting downhill. Like just the little things in terms of all five players on the court understanding the coverage rather than it just being one player or two players max. I think in, in general, looking at the Suns, that's a big part of their evolution, especially when you have not just Kev, or not just Devin Booker, but Kevin Durant, who also occupies yeah. the attention of two. Now, he does it from different spots, typically from the outer thirds on like the mid post or from the elbow or from the low block sometimes, but just having that general process and understanding of what spaces to occupy based off of what coverage is being put on the ball is important. Um, I think teams like the like the Boston Celtics have a great understanding because they have so many players that can dribble and pass and play make. So seeing the Suns be able to occupy and, you know, um, play in a similar manner to that with the randomness factor of the playoffs is important. It, it would uh, also... Oh, sorry. It, no, no, it, would ahead, also, it would also really help the Suns. I, and I think this is something that the summer is going to address. I think James Jones will try to address this in the summer. And I hate to keep talking like the series is over because it's not. But, <laughs> but sure. you know, it's like you, you have to you see the areas that that can improve. And, and that's what you want to mm-hmm. touch on. But I think that getting more guys that can pass dribble shoot because um, yes. it just feels like that they don't like like you don't trust Damian Leader on pick and roll against the Denver mm-hmm. Nuggets. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. Terrence Ross isn't getting played because of the defensive liabilities, but Monty kind of hinted that he might, or that those type of players might player get that in game three. Um, mm-hmm. C- CP3's out. So it's like campaign. Like that. that is the go-to. That's the guy that has to create more juice. He has to get into the lane. He has to force help rotations. He has to be the guy that can actually put pressure on the paint and the problem with that is, is that he doesn't really do that. Like he he gets in the paint, he wants to set up for those floaters, which you know, mm-hmm. like the Suns are are kind of like the Grizzlies, like they're their team floater, they're their uh-huh. team jumper and floater, mm-hmm. and they don't really get to the rim. I think I have the shot frequency. It's uh Denver in the restricted area, thirty two percent of their attempts this series. Suns nineteen percent. Like mm-hmm. really, if you want to come, if you want to really, uh, I, I guess dial it down to the difference in, in, in game three, I think that or game two, I think that's it. Like, you know, Denver got a lot of easier shots in the paint because they are able to put pressure there. And mm-hmm. I think they are doing a good job of taking away uh, the Suns in terms of getting all the way to the rack. You know, book is still phenomenal at it. That Clipper series, I think it's the best. It's like the best five game stretch I've seen in a long time from a player, man. Like that was mm-hmm. just incredible stuff. He was just attacking at will. And it's hard mm-hmm. to do that now. Um, against this team for whatever reason. I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I do feel like there's still more opportunities where Katie and book can not settle for those twos, not suffer those, those mid range jumpers and can kind of force the issue a little bit and maybe draw a little bit more contact. But I think one thing we are seeing is like, 
if the refs aren't going to call it like in game two, like they just let everyone play, then you kind of get discouraged from going in there so often. You want to kind of pull up and, and not make the rest have to make a decision there. So, but yeah, I think if James Jones can maybe tweak the roster a little bit and get more guys that can dri- dribble pass shoot this summer, would be awesome. No doubt. I think that's going to be a very important piece to just filling out the roster. They don't necessarily need the top end talent. They just need those ancillary pieces like a, let's say a Nicholas Batum, they could be a connector and, you know, play small ball with Kevin Durant, like a player like that, a player like Jay Crowder, if he wouldn't have left for whatever reason, would have been perfect for this, for this iteration, just as well as he was for the last one. Um, All right. So transitioning into Nuggets specific talk. Shane, I'm going to kick it over to you again. Do you have any specific things that jump off the page for you from the Nuggets? I know we talked about a few things like the the shot quality that they're getting and um, the Jokic short roll and things like that. Were there any other Nuggets specific things that jumped off the page to you or that stood out to you that you didn't foresee coming into the series? You know, I actually think one thing that's sticking out to me is the fact that KCP was brought in to be this spacer and physical defender that they, that they got him for. And he's kind of like, he's not really guarding ISOs, but just in terms of help, help defense opportunities. I, mean, I think that he's been awesome at rotating as the low man and providing all the offensive, uh, offensive prowess that they really lacked over the years. You know, Will Barton was a mm-hmm. decent player, uh, but uh, that's as far as that goes. Like KCP is just a veteran guy. He's won a championship before. I think he's been awesome on both ends. And, you know, I don't think, I really don't think we consider Aaron Gordon to be the kind of stopper. I mean, mm-hmm. when you think of him, you don't think of a guy that's going to be able to stop a Kevin Durant or really limit him or, or make him work harder for his opportunities. But the guy works hard. And mm-hmm. I think he's been, I think he's been awesome in that role. But um, in particular, Steven, like something I was going to talk about is the Jokic Murray two man game. Like, mm-hmm. That the the Suns are doing their best to try to mm-hmm. mitigate what what comes out of that, and um, I, I I guess limit the likelihood of an open shot. But what the problem is in Game One, you saw that they didn't have an answer for Murray in that in that action and let him get going. They mm-hmm. kind of try to take away Jokic, uh, and in Game Two. It's the complete opposite. Like you're all out physical. Like you're all out just going physical and, and Murray's breathing space, not letting him get free at all, making him take tough jumpers. He got free on a couple. He just missed. But mm-hmm. and, and then game and obviously in game two, like Jokic is the one that gets going because of that. You put all that attention on Murray, whether it's two on the ball, um, hard hedges, whatever it is, and kind of like force him to give it up. And Jokic is rolling down the lane in floater range where he's probably the most efficient big man in NBA history. And that's not hyperbole. Yep. Yep. Like, I, I'm sorry, but you, like the answer is you might just lose. Like if you don't have adequate answers for that. And, and I, I think, I think they're trying. I don't think Phoenix is out here just letting these guys walk into jumpers or walk into layups and floaters. Like they're, they're trying to, but more so than anything, the defensive chemistry is something that I was more concerned about with the Durant stuff than the offensive chemistry. I think everyone pointed to, oh, they've only played eight games together. The chemistry on that, on the offensive end is going to struggle. But I think it's the defensive end. Like, they they just, they need more time to kind of figure out the, the best way to attack this team defensively. And game one was the Murray game. Game two was the Jokic game. 
I, I don't know what's coming next, but I feel like you had to have won the game where Jamal went 0 of 9 from 3. You had to have won that game. Yeah, I I certainly don't disagree. I personally felt like they would err on taking the Murray dynamic of that two-man game off the table early in the series just because I feel like the strength for the Suns in this specific matchup would have been their point-of-attack defense primarily and specifically with Josh Okoji after seeing what Nikhil Alexander-Walker had success-wise against Jamal Murray in the minutes that he spent guarding him in their first-round series against Minnesota. I felt like Okoji could replicate with more physicality and even more activity a lot of what we saw from Nikhil. And, I mean, in game one, that couldn't have been more wrong (laughs) with the way that Jamal Murray lit them up, particularly from the two-man game. And I think that from the Nuggets Speaking from a Nuggets perspective, if we look across the landscape of the NBA, there's only one other tandem that can that can say that they play in a similar manner to which there's just a abundance of randomness that weighs on a defensive team um, that you can't game plan for. And that would be no other than Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Being able to run, they can run inverted pick and roll to manipulate switches that way. They can run a traditional pick and roll, get into the short roll. They can go pick and pop. There's this, they can go off of dribble handoffs. They can go with get action. They can go backdoor with the um with the give and go. Like there's just so much on the table that you can't account for everything. And I think alone like that's not even talking about any specific plays that they might run just those two players being on the same side and being in any type of synergy with each other is going to be an imposing pressure point for a defense and even past what Steph Curry and Draymond Green can do the fact that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are such threats with the ball as shooters passers and dribblers to create like that dynamic is just overbearing so I do think the best answer uh, if we look at the Suns, would be just being more physical, especially yeah. with the playoffs and seeing how physical they allowed them to be in game two. You can only hope that the whistle would be somewhat consistent to that in game three because that plays to your advantage. But switching back to the to the Nuggets perspective, I think just them continuing to get into their dribble handoffs, whether that be from the middle third, getting into the gut dribble handoffs with Jamal and then flowing outward from there, or something we haven't seen as as high a volume of that, that I do think will continue to be a pressure point is um, the Jokic and, and um, Aaron Gordon pick and rolls with those two, whether that be from the post or if Aaron Gordon comes to set that screen when uh, Jokic is on the elbow um, or, or even vice versa. I think that's something that they can, they can uh, potentially even get to the Suns more just manipulating the switch that's eventually going to come from Aiden and Durant there. Yeah, and um, I think if I think if Durant is guarding Gordon, then you know part of the mentality if you're Michael Malone is let's try to wear this dude down. Like mm-hmm. we've seen KD is playing. I think he's at 300 minutes, <laughs> 300 already. minutes in seven games. And you know I was actually mm-hmm. looking it up because I think a lot of that you know we we just laughed about how 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 egregious those minute totals are. But I, I looked at it and it's not uncommon. Um, I mm-hmm. think if I remember, it's like the 48th or 49th, like most minutes uh, we've seen over a seven game. Like there, there has been way more um, instances of of star players doing this than we we naturally think. Like you think, oh my god, it's crazy. It's it's not uncommon, especially like in the you know 2010s like era that where guys were playing 40 46 minutes in playoff games. Um, so I'm not really too worried about that. But if you're 
the if you're the Nuggets, especially, I mean, you're looking at that and saying, "Hey, man, let let's make KD and and Booker work. Let's put them in as many actions as possible." Mm-hmm. Even though they have, you know, KD has length. He's he's a really good defender. He's been around. He he knows he knows what to do on, on that side of the floor. Still, man, let's try to wear this dude down. So yeah, we haven't seen a lot of Gordon Jokic pick and roll actions, but that's something to look forward to. Yeah, I think we saw the highest volume of that in game one. And I do think yeah. that the Suns defended that particular that particular action uh, fairly well. Uh, they were, of course, getting to the switch. And then um, in game two specifically, there was a play um, down the stretch in the fourth quarter where they went to it. And they got the initial switch where it was KD that was on Aaron Gordon. And he switched and he was ended up being on Jokic. And they went with a quick scram switch before they could enter the ball into the post uh-huh. between between KD and Aiden. And they kind of neutralized it. And it was eventually it turned into like a switch and double because as Jokic got into his move late in the clock, Kevin Durant was able to, based off of where Aaron Gordon respaced in the opposite dunker spot, take that one step over and kind of double uh, around the restricted area. And then the Suns were able to get the stop as Jokic kicked it out to, I think it was Jamal Murray in the corner. And Devin, Devin Booker went from sinking in on Aaron Gordon to cover up for KD to get a good contest up on Murray. I think if they can just find that synergy defensively, of course, that's only one context of what the Nuggets bring to the party offensively. But if they can kind of yeah. neutralize that and take that off the table, that's where you can kind of start saying, okay, we know we got this covered. Now let's just focus on that one part. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, the series might kind of come down to how much of that they can mitigate. Um, I think, and I, this could just be another question, thinking about it from a Nuggets perspective. Do you think it would be more important for Jamal Murray to be their leading scorer on a game per game by game basis or Nikola Jokic? So I was just about to say that, just about to chime in on this. And I think, mm-hmm. so I was, I was actually going to say it from a Suns perspective. So okay. from a Suns perspective, I think the best route to win this series is to do is to have your game two game plan make yep. Jokic be mm-hmm. the guy that, that is scoring everything take try as much as possible and i hate when people say take away the others because that's impossible like, you can't take away everything in the nba like guys are <laughs> going to get going as we saw evidenced by kcp getting those mm-hmm. open jumpers um and really all, by, by the way side note like <laughs> he he hit a three coming off of drop coverage like Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. man! Like if mm-hmm. KCP is doing that, uh, there's uh-huh. not another there's not another role player on the Suns that can do that. Only their stars can do that. So mm-hmm. that's another problem. Um, but I think if you're the Suns, you want Jokic to be the guy that has to score, go out there and score 35 plus. Um, mm-hmm. Take away Murray, kind of. I wouldn't say rattle his confidence, but but kind of yeah, you're rattling his confidence by making him have these tough games. And I think if you do that and kind of just do your best on everyone else, then you lend yourself a better chance to win because I do believe the Suns win that game if CP doesn't go down and and they, they continue generating the shots and get the great ball movement that they had in the third quarter. So mm-hmm. I think that was the best one. Now for the Denver Nuggets, obviously, I think you want Jamal Murray kind of being the guy that that is getting anything he wants and really being their leading scorer. Um, mm-hmm. Not not necessarily that Jokic that they can't win the series with Jokic just going berserk because they can. He's he's an MVP uh, two times. Uh, I mm-hmm. maybe might might have been three uh, honestly if he if he kept it going the last part of the month, uh, last part of the season. But um, mm-hmm. I think long went away of saying I think if you're Denver you want Jamal Murray kind of being the the head of the snake because once that opens up then Jokic is fine not taking any shots until he has to. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's a great point. And from a son's perspective, essentially what Shane is saying is treating Jokic like Chris Paul, like the Nuggets were treating Chris Paul. We are going to bait you into taking as many shots as you desire. We know that that's not your nature. That's not your biochemical uh, building up as a player. That's not in your DNA to flip the switch and be a scorer first. So we're going to take your tendencies and we're going to flip them against you. And we're going to see how, if you're going to concede to that or if you're going to go against the grain. And if you go against the grain, that's to our advantage. Uh, I do think that what you said about Jamar Murray being the leading scorer for the Nuggets from a Nuggets perspective is what they should want. And I do think that from a Suns perspective, they should want that Nikola Jokic be their leading field goal, their their leading field goal attempter and leading scorer as well. The reason reason I say that, by the way, is because – I started covering the Clippers in 2019, 20 uh, when Kawhi mm-hmm. and Pete got there and mm-hmm. that bubbles, that bubble series. I know it's so long ago. It feels like a decade ago, but <laughs> um, they did, they, they fared well. The Clippers fared well when they made Jokic have to shoot and, and, and really kind of just backed up and, and, and made him decide, am I going to shoot or am I going to waste another few seconds of the shot clock going and in, going into another DHO, get into another action and and really bogging down the offense and maybe you don't even get a good shot out of that um so where they really died and where i mean died they they were up 3-1 and they got destroyed is when jamal murray got cooking and when mm-hmm. paul Millsap of all people <laughs> if you remember uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. He, got, he got cooking um mm-hmm. so i, I think I, I think for i always just i will always revert back to that series because the reason the Clippers were up three one, and that was a much different Jokic, and he's way better now. But the reason they were up three one is because they forced him to do it all. And once that changed, once that reverted, as you said, changed the tendencies, then Denver got rolling. Yep, and I think even if you kind of look back at that series um, and that rendition of the Nuggets, uh, to a point that you made earlier with KCP being such a weapon, um, I'm a Michigan State guy. And so naturally I love Gary Harris. That's, that's, yeah. that's my, that's my guy. I think he's, if he can get to a team that's contending he can get back to his ways, especially what he showed in Orlando, he can make a winning impact. No different than KCP is with the Nuggets now, but they essentially flipped Gary Harris and got a better version of him. They have a similar shot profile. They play the same way. They have the same stature, the same, um, same type of skill set and abilities. Uh, but KCP going seven for 12, if I'm a Nuggets fan or a Nuggets supporter or a Nuggets columnist, that is a big thing. Seven for 12 from three, especially with the threes, the timely threes that he hit, not just in game two, but also in game one. Those are the type of things that you need. That's the thing that he did for the Los Angeles Lakers, if we want to go back to the bubble, yeah. where they got the championship and being able to do those little things. Um, or even looking at what they did even um, in the season after that, um, just him being able to hit those spots. And with a player um, like, say, a Danny Green, if you want to go with somebody that's a, a little bit better known as a role player that's known for knocking down threes, that Robert Ori effect, you can't you can't replace it, man. You can't replace it. And that's kind of transitioning into some Suns talk and looking at things from a Suns lens. That's the little things that you need, especially without CP3 now for the next game or two. Uh, a player like like you mentioned with Monty Williams um, singling out um, Damian Lee, the type of shot quality that they can generate for him, same thing with KCP for the Nuggets. Those are the shots that you need players like that to knock down. Um, mm-hmm. I never necessarily agree with the role players win games in the postseason um, 
adage that a lot of people like to throw around, but I do think that them making timely baskets is as important as any yeah. other dynamic within your within your schemes and within your lineups and rotations. Having the correct player in the correct position to be as successful as you need them to be, especially with the extra attention that your key players and your best players are going to garner off of scouting reports and things like that. You need players to knock down those shots, and KCP did what he needed to from a Nuggets side, like you said, and the Suns didn't get that from a player like Damian Lee or a player like Campaign that has some of those looks as well um, in the fourth quarter of game two. All right, yeah, Shane, yeah, I'm a, and, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I was just going to say, like, I, th- I think that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that your role players win playoff games because mm-hmm. – if that was the case, we'd have more eight-seeded Miami Heat teens sans Jimmy Butler <laughs> going to the finals, right? <laughs> but, Absolutely. <laughs> but, but what I do, but what I do agree with when I when I hear that is that you have to have the perfect combination of role players to win four straight playoff series because at at some point, inevitably, your stars are going to face doubles. They're going to face insane coverages, and mm. defenses are going to sell out on those guys. And when they do. When that happens, like the Warriors, when defenses sell out on Steph, or if you remember that 2019 Warriors run where KD was hurt, um, like against the Raptors, I remember when the game in spe- specifically, like the defense just just completely box and one just completely sell, sold out on Steph. Mm-hmm. It was Quinn Cook that had to hit timely threes. Yep. Quinn Cook of all people, like he's not in the NBA <laughs> anymore. Like timely mm-hmm. threes for them to win a couple of games in that series. And I mean, that has to be, if the Suns aren't doing that, then this summer they got to get guys that can. Absolutely. And I do think that the fact that they're outside of, um, outside of the main, the primary initiators of offense, especially Sands, Chris Paul, now you're down to three pretty much between Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Cameron Payne. Outside yeah. of that, I mean, sometimes they initiate offense with the Koji for specific sets, but that doesn't have the same effect that either one of those three players um, that I just mentioned will have. So being able to have, like like you just mentioned, and multiple multiple role players that can do multiple things, um, it's, it's going to be all important. Um, but all right, kind of looking at things from a Suns perspective, coming back home down 0-2, the panic button should not be hit because, again, like I mentioned in the opening, the Nuggets did nothing more than whole serve. They did what they got home court advantage and what they earned it to do to win their first two games at home against whoever their opponent is, uh, weeding through the Western Conference. Uh, now it's your turn. You have a lot of data compiled between game one and game two to look at. You have the things that you shouldn't do and the things that you can't do from game one. And then you have the things that you can't do as well from the latter stretch of game two. And then you have all of the things that you can do, the, the pressure points that you can hit, and the things that you can dictate from an offensive perspective and a defensive perspective heading into game three based off of what you saw for three-fourths of game two. Um, let's start with uh, looking at the Suns' defense. Uh, how do you feel about their defense? Because we saw a stark contrast from game one to game two. Uh, how do you feel about their defense going into game three? I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but now that we're in the Suns specific uh, lens, just kind of speak to that. I think overall I feel solid. Um, I don't feel great. I don't feel bad. Uh, I think that it, it's hard. Uh, people don't understand how hard defensive decisions are because you're like, I, I, I there's something I always talk about, especially when people, um, like college basketball fans come up to me or, or like on, on Twitter, my, my whole family is college basketball fans and they 
like, why do you like the NBA? Every score is 120 to 110. You know, it's like, well, first of all, like, you can't mm-hmm. allow everything. You have to give up something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think the Suns are just kind of dabbling through what do we give up? What do we not? Um, something that I don't know if you agree, but something I think that we're going to see more in these uh, tomorrow uh, or game three on Friday um, and potentially in game four is, depending on how this goes, is I think we're going to see the Suns try to maybe force others to take jumpers. I, obviously, KCP, you can't you can't allow that. Like you 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 can't allow that. Obviously, but um, like Aaron Gordon, try to replicate what you did in Game One. You know, uh, mm-hmm. everyone that's not KCP, Murray, Jokic, like we're going to sag off as much as we can and kind of try to muddy it up a little bit. And you're already seeing a little bit of that. You're seeing a lot of that in Game Two, but I think they're going to lean more into that. Um, because if I think NBA players are, um, especially like, you know, veterans, they, they, they look at, they look at, you know, Jokic had 39 points. Now they want to try to get rid of that. They want to try to lower that down a little bit. So the only way to do that, like you have to send help <laughs> and mm-hmm. sending help could open up the floodgates. So I, I don't know, man, I just went on that big spill a minute ago about how you have to make Jokic to do everything. And that's how you win. I just mm-hmm. don't know if, if, if coaches and players are wired that way. I think they want to try to take away, as much as possible um and that could be that could mean sending help at these guys at murray Jokic two-man game and uh i just i would anticipate a lot more open shots for the gordons the the browns both of them christian and bruce mm-hmm. and uh everyone else except for kcp i think you make a great point and before i dive into my point in addition to what you were mentioning um looking at kcp i mentioned the seven for 12 from three in this series bruce brown oh for two michael porter jr one for six. Christian Brown, 0 for 1. Jeff Green, 1 for 4. These are the type of players that you're speaking to conceding jump shots to. And if we go back to Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon's 4 for 7. But his effect in game, in game, I think he hit three of those in game one, if I uh, if my memory serves me right. So he only hit one in game in game two. Yeah. I think those are the that's the shot profile you want them to have, where it's more heavy towards those players taking those type of shots. And directly in alignment with that specific uh frame of mind, and also piggybacking off of what we mentioned earlier with dictating towards taking the Jamal Murray dynamic off the table and imploring um, Nikola Jokic to be a scorer. I think if you put two to the ball more consistently and have DeAndre Aiden at the level of the screen, whether he's at the level up to touch and then dropping back or if he's flat hedging or if he's blitzing, I think keeping a consistent blend of those three things while Josh Okoji navigates and essentially betting on Nikola Jokic taking away potentially his scoring ability off of the short roll and just making him play make two of those players that I just that I just mentioned and I ran down their shooting numbers. I think that, especially being back in the con- friendly confines of the footprint center, I think it's it's at least good enough to try it. You can't necessarily yeah. still go into work, but based off of the numbers and the inconsistencies we've seen from those players independent of KCP, I feel like that's a that's a smart bet, at least at this juncture of the series. And it's also a contrast to what you've done um, through game one and two as a whole. So I think kind of having that curveball with Aiden being up at the level of the screen a lot more consistently, especially with having a player like Kevin Durant that's seven foot that also has a similar uh, wingspan to DeAndre Aiden's around seven five on the back end for your defense and secondary rim protection. I think you have to kind of use that to your advantage and at least try to dictate from that perspective. You have any thoughts on that change? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think it'd be a good idea to try. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, like I, I think Da is pretty good when he gets up higher, right? Like, yes. I don't think he's I don't think he's a liability when he gets up higher and and kind of um, leaves the paint um, kind of unprotected because you do have a seven footer back there. And by the way, I think Katie's been if I had to rate his weak side help, I'd say he's been a B plus, A minus so far in this series. Mm-hmm. Like there's moments mm-hmm. that. Like he slides over and, is, and everyone's like, "Oh my god! Like I, I can't do anything right now. I gotta pass this back out." Uh, mm-hmm. but, there, but you know, obviously, like sometimes Aaron Gordon just muscles right through him as he did in a couple of times in Game Two. So it is what it is. But the reason I said I'm not really worried about the defense for Phoenix um, is because I think they can easily get back and tie the series if their offense just reverts back to the mean. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I think if if you if you're looking at the reason they're zero and two so far is because they've at they've scored one hundred and two points per one hundred possessions. That's not mm-hmm. Phoenix Suns that we know. Um, nope. Absolutely not. Not with Kevin Durant at least. So I think if you just if you adjust on the other end, then then you're going to have uh, it, it's just going to it, it's just going to lend to better results. I think one thing that their defense could do is they got to find a way to force more turnovers and get out on the break. I know you don't. I know you want to kind of. Um, play it safe and not foul these guys because you're already losing the free throw discrepancy by a uh, unsurvivable mm-hmm. amount. I would say <laughs> I, I was shocked. I was I was sitting next to the Suns content people um, for game two, and I, I looked over. I said, "Can you believe they haven't shot a free throw yet?" And they mm-hmm. no one believed me. Like they hadn't shot a free throw until the third mm-hmm. quarter. So mm-hmm. I know you don't want to like um, magnify or, or uh, amplify that free throw discrepancy by fouling, but I think you have to find ways to kind of. Uh, make the Denver Nuggets uncomfortable, force more turnovers. And once you get on the break, like when Katie's running in stride, man, it's hard. It, it's really hard to, to do to, to stop these guys, especially if you have mm-hmm. another a shooter filling the corner on the weak side, like make them make decisions in transition. And that's something they're not doing enough of. Yeah, I think especially with the the uh, positives that we saw from their first round series against the Clippers, like the defense in terms of containing the ball outside of the Russell Westbrook drives was very solid from start to finish in that series. And in addition to that containing of the ball was the the havoc that they were wrecking in the passing lanes. Um, going into this, going into the second round series, Devin Booker and Chris Paul are both top four in the playoffs for, I think it was uh, stocks of steals and blocks per game, and that's really just a, a testament to the activity of their hands and the anticipation and just ability to disrupt things from a defensive perspective. We haven't seen that enough in this series against the Nuggets. We've seen it in stretches, like we saw it a little bit in that 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 third quarter stretch heading into the early fourth quarter of game two. But that's, again, that's a small sample size. We've seen eight quarters, and we're only talking about one pocket over the course of one quarter <laughs> in this eight-quarter series so far that they've shown that. I think if they can get that activity to where I think it was maybe heading into, um, into Los Angeles into game three and through game four, they were – either first or first or second in the, the playoffs in total deflections. Yeah. Just speaking to the havoc that they were inducing and the chaos that they were causing defensively, that's where they need to get back to. And I feel like there's no better time to do so. Um, going back to your home court, you're more comfortable there. You got the home crowd in your favor. You can play off of that a little bit. And then the role players are going to be more comfortable as well playing at home versus on the road. So I think partly in those um, extra efforts and activity, especially without Chris Paul, who mm-hmm. was the leader in deflections before he got, of course, before he's going to be without him. Yeah, he was their leader in deflections for the Suns specifically. Um, not having that is going to be hard to make up for, but I think having a player like Josh Koji, 
who one of the most important things that he brings to the table is his defense and activity, having him uptick that in addition to what Kevin Durant is doing, in addition to what Devin Booker is doing, which quietly Devin Booker has been very good again on defense in this series. Um, I think probably in those efforts and then having somebody like campaign who's frenetic and then potentially a player like TJ Warren, if he gets the minutes using his length and using his IQ to kind of just take advantage of that athleticism that they can put forth. I think it's going to be important from a defensive perspective. Uh, did you have any closing thoughts on the Suns' defense before we transition to the other side of the ball for them? Uh, not particularly on the defense. I think, uh, uh, you know, you go through the film, you look at it, and you're like, there's some there's some things that you can kind of clean up. But uh, like I said, I, I think I think the Suns, one thing I will commend Monty for and, and the defensive coaches for is that I think they've realized, like, okay, we're going to try to make the Nuggets win four different games. You've won the yes. you've won the Jokic game, which mm-hmm. you shouldn't have won because uh, <laughs> the Suns mm-hmm. should have got should have closed that. Um, but you won the Murray game. Now, what's the next kind of variation that that Denver can try to win? And I conversely, I think that's where the the Suns could be in trouble here. Like I don't really know how this series is going to play out, um, but I don't believe that Phoenix can win four different games. I think they can win the same game four times. I, that that's kind of where I'm coming from. I mean, I, people might disagree, but like you saw in the Clippers series, like it took incredible, incredible mid-range shot making. It took um, hellacious defensive effort. Like I, I just don't know if they have a. You remember campaigns game two against the Clippers in 2021? Yep. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if that's in the arsenal. So right now for this series, I don't know if they can win that kind of game. I think as 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 far as things going unaccounted for, and that that's particularly because they haven't been given opportunity. I think that's where, and you kind of hinted at this earlier, Monty Williams, especially going back to the friendly confines of the Footprint Center, has to lean more on bench players or reserve players, excuse me, that have not gotten consistent minutes. And yeah. I think the 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 best of which, which I have a piece coming on tomorrow, will be Terrence Ross. Now, oh, yeah. Terrence Ross is a player that hasn't played much for the Suns in the playoffs as a whole. He couldn't play in the first round series because of the matchup hunting ability and the many players they can create off the dribble that the Clippers have compiled for their roster. You can't play in this series necessarily when you are healthy, if you could if you could help it, because Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray can easily hunt him out, get him involved in the direct action, and then you can't necessarily trust him on ball. But in addition to that, and in a contrast to what we saw, would have saw in the first round series, Nikola Jokic can also pick on him as a help defender and make him make decisions in rotations, which is not mm-hmm. his strength. So I think now with your back against the wall, uh, per se, being down 0-2 and coming back home, giving a player like Terrence Ross maybe a five or seven minute stretch early in the game three to see, to just check his temperature, see what he can do, see what he can't do over the course yeah, of the first to, you half. Have to try it. You have to try. You have to. You have to. You have to exhaust all of your weapons and responsibilities at this point just to find something that sticks. And speaking to your point of things going unaccounted for in that campaign game two against the Clippers from two seasons ago in the playoffs, I think a player that has that potential and this emphasis on potential is a player like Terrence Ross. Mm -hmm. And I think a player, and I called, I was talking to one of my friends uh, that watches the NBA closely. And I was telling him Terrence Ross has a level of unpredictability that can be volatile, 
but it could also be positive. And I feel like some of the Suns role players around the Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker-led team have been hesitating in terms of the shots that they decide to take and when they decide to take them. A player with the positive, irrational confidence that a player like Terrence Ross has is not going to hesitate when he gets a pass from one of those two players that's being conceded extra help to, and he knows that he can get off his quick trigger three or get into a one-dribble pull-up in the mid-range or potentially put pressure on the rim because of his creation that he gives as a ball handler. I think having a player with that unpredictability who, if parlayed into in the appropriate manner, it can be a positive for your team, is going to be important to add to your deck. Um, and, of course, it remains to be seen, but I do think that, you, like you said, you have to at least try it at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. And kind of just looking more at the Suns on the offensive side of things, uh, how have you felt about DeAndre Aiden in terms of his screening, <laughs> his aggression, um, the efficiency on his shots this series? How have you felt about his temperature on offense? I, I go absolutely back and forth with DA on a on a weekly basis, man. Like mm-hmm. there there was some, I was on the PHNX show with Gerald and them, and mm-hmm. I, man. I said, like, I don't understand the the national outrage about the uh, DeAndre Ayton just in terms of his ability and what he can do, um, mm-hmm. because he's been for, for the regular season, like he's been he's been awesome. I think you know he's he's found avenues to success, um, but like then you see him in this series, it's like man, he's been okay, but there are areas where there's clear growth opportunities for him if if they would mm-hmm. just work on it. I mean, like the short roll playmaking, I don't think it's there. Like I, I think he's been, I think he's been okay in certain, like during the regular season, at finding those um, shooters on the backside or kind of mm-hmm. manipulating that defender, um, and and whether it's you know get into his into his uh, jump hooks or or whatever the case is. But for me, I just feel like there's more, there's more on the table there. I think leaving stuff on the table when it comes to creating those type of opportunities where they hit DA in the pocket. And, you know, maybe you have to credit Denver's defense for kind of shutting those options off, but there's clear there's clear chances for him to hit KD one pass away, and then he ends up going for a little hook shot and it misses. It's like, man, like you just mm-hmm. turned a open three for one of the best shooters ever into an inefficient two with a guy right on you. So I, I don't know, man. I think DA's been okay as a screen setter. Uh, I, I think he could be even more physical and forceful there to kind of freeze guys open. Uh, but one thing that's going to suck for the Suns is the not having CP3 there. I feel like the CP3 DA pick and roll has always been money because mm-hmm. it's going to, because CP can fly off that screen and get into his snake dribble, get into his pull up. And we saw it come into fruition and in, in the third quarter, what do you hit like three straight mm-hmm. uh, mid Ranger CP did off of, off of eight and screens. And even you could see CP pointing at eight and like, there you go, buddy. Like you keep keep doing it. Keep setting those good screens. You're doing well. And then Chris gets hurt. So um, I don't know. I think I think Aiton's been um, not as bad. I think he got a lot of flack for you know the the inactivity in game one, uh, giving up all those offensive boards. Um, mm-hmm. He got a lot of criticism there, which you know some was warranted, but it wasn't all just him. Exactly. Um, so uh, he's he's sometimes a scapegoat for this for this team, which is not fair when that when things go awry. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to point at Katie's uh, get awful game two shooting. Sometimes you have to, or was it game one shooting? It was game two shooting game and the game one shooting. turnovers. Yeah. 
Yes, sometimes you have to point to uh, the, the, the mega stars instead of the guy that is just like the third or fourth wheel here. But um, I'm curious what you've seen from Aiton because uh, I think there's there's ways he can be more forceful and physical and kind of uh, create better opportunities for the Suns' offense. He has to roll harder to me. He can't stop short. That's the one. That's you the one. Can't stop at the dotted circle. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. not a roll. That is mm-hmm. a. I caught the ball and took one step. So mm-hmm. that you got to put that pressure on the rim. And 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 I, I told I told someone the other day like there's zero reason for in my opinion zero reason he should not be shooting seven eight free throws a game. Yes, I, and I think he could get a large portion of those free throw attempts by just simply aggress- aggressively rolling to the basket. I think if you need a clear cut like example of rolling aggressive versus like a short roll type of roll. Um, you can look at a player like, let's say, Rudy Gobert or even yeah. somebody that's in the playoffs now. You can look at a player like Robert Williams or a player like Joel Embiid. When they roll to the basket, it's a different type of gravity that it has because they know that they're not looking to hit the short roll. They don't have to guess. Like The example that we brought with the with the, with the the Suns going with their 77 action and Aiden's short roll taking away mm-hmm. the, 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 the low man, sucking him in as like a vacuum in a sense – it would be even stronger and the, the rotations could be exacerbated and stretched even more for the Nuggets if his pressure on the rim with his role was that much more effective because they have to account for him in a way that they like they know he's going to roll, but they don't think he's going to roll to score. There's a difference in rolling to score and being a threat in doing so and having paint and rim pressure off of a roller versus him just kind of, like you mentioned, kind of just being in that area. Like, yeah, we'll account for you, but we know they're not going to really get it to you. That's yeah. why you get it. That's why you get, in addition to Kevin Durant being in the corner, a player like Christian Brown saying, okay, I'll, I'll risk potentially leaving the basket open because I know they don't have the most, that much trust in you to throw you that pass often and that you're not as much of a threat as this guy that's sitting in the corner. If it was the, if it was the inverse of that, I think the Suns could get even more out of their offense regardless of who's space where just off of the attention that he could potentially garner by being more aggressive on his roles. And, I mean, he had one in game one, I think it was in the first half, where I can't remember if it was with Devin Booker or Chris Paul. It might have been Chris Paul, where it was like a late clock pick and roll that they went to. Jokic crept up a little bit closer to the level. Um, I think it was with Chris Paul because he's usually in the drop with CP. Uh, Jokic stepped up a little bit closer to the level. Chris hit him with a pocket pass. Aiden caught it, and there was a different type of ferocity that he had when he turned his shoulders. Yeah, I remember He that. got into yeah. it, and he and he just buggy whipped it down with a tomahawk. And that's an energy that we're not accustomed to seeing from a player that, in terms of his stature, can potentially be physically imposing against more matchups across the league than not. And I think therein also kind of lies a little bit of what we saw and what we're not seeing from the Suns in the nine Jokic minutes that they need to win to incrementally creep their way back into this series. If Aiden was more aggressive, in my opinion, whether that be his post touches or his role opportunities, especially against their small ball lineups when Jokic is not on the floor, that can help to dictate a lot of things as well. Um, And kind of speaking to that, which is a question that I had to pose to you, I don't understand why, and I trust Monty Williams as a coach. I understand that he has the temperature and feel for his team and all of those fun things, but I'm not sure why we haven't seen more Durant at the five in these playoffs, <laughs> especially when teams go into their second units and Durant is out there uh, in the main rotation for the Suns. It's typically Durant paired with Chris Paul to start second quarters, and there's either a Bismack Biyombo or a Jock Landell that's in yeah. at the five. 
I think that's the perfect opportunity, even if it's not in that second quarter and, and early fourth quarter stint, even if it's just the fourth quarter in the second half specifically, instead of going to your reserve big, have Kevin Durant there. That's a different type of way to dictate things. Uh, what are your thoughts on the lack of uh, small ball that we've seen from the Suns in this playoffs? I, I feel like a broken record. Uh, it's <laughs> it, it, it's mind boggling because essentially what I, I don't think we have a good answer on why, because if you ask him why he there, someone has asked him why he doesn't really give a direct answer. He's like, it's something we'll look at or, you know, mm-hmm. you know how coach speak is like, mm-hmm. we didn't think the flow of the game called for that. We, we like having our bigs for the offensive or for the de- defensive rebounding purposes. You know, uh, I, I just believe that KD is going to be going to have to be the one to put his foot down and say he wants that because if the player is asking for it, then I think the coach, I think Monty who respects KD a lot, will will want him to play the five, but mm-hmm. uh I, I think he's a. I think Monty's a traditionalist. I don't think that he likes doing that. Um, I was just flabbergasted when I heard that ninety-eight uh, percent, I think ninety-eight or ninety-seven percent of the Suns' minutes over the last two regular seasons has come with a center on the floor. Yep. Like, dude, to not even <laughs> to not even experiment with it is kind of it, it's it's the one of the it's one of the faults Monty has. Um, I think he is an expert level communicator. I would want him rallying my guys any day of the week. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's just, he's an awesome person. And I think he's smart when it comes to the, the offensive sets. Uh, obviously their mm-hmm. snap actions have been killing mm-hmm. teams and we haven't seen a lot of it. Uh, nope. Haven't seen that's, a lot another of three it. Play, that's another three player action. We should see more of in this yeah. series, especially it's been killing teams, uh, for the last two regular seasons. But the thing mm-hmm. is, is that, um, he he. One of his faults is that he doesn't want to get uh, experimentative or creative with the lineups. And um, I, I think instead of going to your full your Booker plus full bench lineups with who was that in the game with him? Was it Landell, uh, Lee? I forgot who else was in. It was like it was yeah, players yeah. It was like Landell, Lee, Ish, Wainwright, and I can't remember who that yeah. fifth was, but it like, was somebody like, that shouldn't have. And Landry Shamit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to do that, but you also don't want to try KD at the five, I'm kind of just mm-hmm. I'm kind of perplexed. But um, I, I think eventually we will see it. We saw it for a couple minutes uh, mm-hmm. at a time in the Clippers mm-hmm. series. I think, you know, for a three-minute stretch, then another three-minute stretch, something like that. So, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. I just don't, don't, I don't think he trusts them to get it done on the glass or that he doesn't want to wear KD out because there's this notion that playing the center wears you down more than any other position, which... I don't really know if I agree with. So um, I, I don't know, man, especially, especially when Aaron Gordon is playing center. If Aaron Gordon's at the five, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's zero excuse to not have KD out there at the five. I could not agree more with you. And just to kind of piggyback off of that, my reasoning behind it. So in my opinion, and it seems like with most coaches across the NBA, they're more worried about on the offensive side not having uh, rim pressure in a sense, mm-hmm. whether that be a specific um, forward that can play as a center or players, multiple players that can put pressure on the rim with their dribble drives. I think I feel like that's a that's the answer we get from most coaches. But for the from the Suns and looking at what they have on their roster right now, if we went with a Kevin Durant, and by we I'm talking about me and you, if we went with the structure in a small ball lineup. I would just run down the players that I would like to see on the floor. And this is obviously accounting for Chris Paul not being available right now. So it would be Devin Booker at the point or potentially campaign at the point. Um, we could put Terrence Ross out there at one of the wing spots. 
You could put um, Josh Koji out there with Tory Craig. And then that fifth spot would be um, one of Cameron Payne or Devin Booker. You can kind of flip the matchups however you would like it to be. I think having that set of players on offense, you have your rim pressure guy and Josh Koji, who we talked about being able to screen, playing a short role, or potentially roll all the way to the basket. Another underlying thing with Koji because he's been played as a non-shooter so much in his NBA career, he's adept at playing the dunker spots. He understands how yeah. to operate in those pockets around the drive or around somebody that might be all coming off of a screen, like if it's Torrey Craig setting the screen. He doesn't necessarily have to space to the corner like the Suns always have him when he's with the starters. If DeAndre Aiden isn't in the mix, Josh Koji can occupy one of those spots. I also think that his ability to cut in those lineups, I'm thinking about it from a perspective of a lot like how the Houston Rockets in 2017 and 2018 used P.J. Tucker. Like, of yeah. course, Koji can't space the floor in that manner in the corners, but what he can do is screen, he can play make out of the short roll, and he can put more pressure on the rim than P.J. Tucker ever was a threat to do in, at any point in his career. So I feel like pushing those buttons and at least attempting to try it and just compiling some minutes to base it off of moving forward is going to be important. Uh, what would a small ball rendition of the Suns without CP3 look like for you? Uh, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about without CP3. So mm-hmm. I got I, something along the lines of what you said. Um mm-hmm. More so, like I guess, like zooming into that though, I would I I would just be fascinated to see more book Durant pick and roll direct actions. Oh my goodness! Uh, have we seen? Have we talk seen, for me? <laughs> have we seen any of it? Like I don't think I, we've seen any of it in this Nugget series. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the reason I think the reason's obvious. Like if Aaron Gordon or someone is guarding KD, like do you really want? that switch like i don't know like you know but i'm sure book is confident against going going against anybody but but aaron gordon's physical he can move his feet so like if you're going to get a switch there then then mm-hmm. it might not be worth it but it, it that's not the point the point is to make them think about it like oh my god katie's coming up screen like mm-hmm. you know and, and seeing if they want to switch everything or if they want to or if they want to defend a different way so just not enough katie is a screener for his best for for his best ball handler and scorer um, mm-hmm. If you think back to the 2017, 18, 19 Warriors, KD mm-hmm. setting ball screens for Stephen Curry or Clay Thompson was money. And I know mm-hmm. that Booker's not the shooter that Stephen Clay are. Like he's not, like he he's not uh, adept enough at pulling up from 30 feet to kind of give you that um, that that scoring avenue there. But but I'm telling you, like if <laughs> if you give Book enough opportunities with with that screening action, he's going to figure some things out. We just haven't seen enough of it. Now I'm sure they're doing it in practice, and maybe they just don't see it yielding results. And maybe that's not why they're not going. They're kind of going away from it and putting KD in the weak side corner or um, just using them in double drag as a screener. But I don't know, man. Like Book and KD direct actions as a, as the one five. Like mm-hmm. whoever's guarding KD, I don't know who would be guarding KD for Denver if they are the if KD's at the five. I guess it'd be Gordon. I don't know, I don't yeah. know who else, but mm-hmm. yeah, or maybe maybe Jeff Green. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, like um, it's just something to look for, man. Like I think Game Three is going to have a lot of stuff in the first half in particular that were just that are just new for us. Whether it's like as you said, Terrence Ross getting minutes, TJ Warren getting minutes, like some a few things are going to trick us in the first half, like th- that we don't expect to see. I think Monty's going to have to get it because this is the first time this team's been down 0-2, right? Correct. Like, yeah, we might see a little bit more experimentation. 
Yeah, I think I think the the nature of this series, especially with them now operating without Chris Paul for the next two to three games, is gonna lend itself to Monty getting more uncomfortable and letting his grip on things loosen up and become a little bit more uh, evolutionary with their process um, in terms of the lineups and the rotations. Uh, another thing that I strongly desire to see more of, and it kind of goes in hand with the with the uh, Kevin Durant as a screener dynamic, which you mentioned him being elite as a screener and being effective screening for Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. I liken Devin Booker more to the Kyrie Irving type, where mm-hmm. that same type of synergy that they had in Brooklyn, I feel like it could be profound and potentially even better with uh, Devin Booker just because of the type of score that he is given where both players are at their points in their careers right now. Um, that's something that you definitely have to dip into. But looking at the two-man game, they like to use their empty corner pick and roll between it was usually Chris Paul and Kevin Durant to set up either get a switch or to set up shots for Kevin Durant to get that elbow touch or that mid-post yeah. touch in isolation. Whether that be with Durant on the floor with DeAndre Aiden or if it's in the small ball rendition, I think outside of getting to the uh, to the corners and manipulating their way into the pockets in the mid-range, one way to consistently hit a pressure point is for Kevin Durant to get those touches that have made him uh, the easiest looking 30 point, 30 plus point scorer that we potentially seen in NBA history. Like you can run sets for him. You can run actions for him, but maybe the best way, especially in the playoffs when teams game plan to take away actions and can top lock and things like that and deny is to just put him in space and tell him, do what you do best. He's going to turn and face. He's going to get into the triple threat. He's going to assess where the help is coming. If there's no help coming, the percentages are in your favor because he's going to get a bucket against whoever in space or they're going to have to foul him. Um, Or if they do concede help, guess what? One of the hardest things for the Suns to do outside of pick and roll is get the nuggets in rotation because they've been so solid with containing the ball. One thing, one way to almost always get them in rotation and if they don't do it initially, after he scores 10 points in a row, one-on-one, you're going to have to concede to it, is allow for KD to get these touches, whether that be topside, whether that be on the blocks, on the elbows, or in the mid-post. Let him get those touches in space and isolation and use him as a vacuum. The defense is going to come to him, whether they commit to, to him or everybody takes an extra step towards him to condense the court. It's going to generate advantages for you to create. And that's where you allow for players like Josh Koji and Torrey Craig who aren't the best spacers per se, but they're adept at cutting from the second side, whether that be cutting on a 45 from the opposite side of KD or cutting from the opposite baseline to stretch the rotations of the zoning up on the second side after they commit two to the ball on KD. I think using him as that vacuum and that playmaking hub, as well as a scoring hub without Chris Paul, that's going to be a lot higher of a volume for those touches for KD. Yeah, and you know potentially if he's if he's more of a playmaker in those roles, it kind of lowers his um, uh, exhaustion rate. Like he, mm-hmm, I feel like he's mm-hmm. exhausted if he's leading the if he's leading the offense. So that's why, like, that's also why I'm not really concerned about like the high minute totals for him because mm-hmm. on like on certain possessions he's in the corner. Like it's not really <laughs> you know it hasn't been it hasn't been he's the, the expensive decoy. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been like a like OKC Durant where every mm-hmm. or all forty five or forty six minutes of a playoff game are exhaustive, like exhausting because he is uh, dictating all the action. So, yeah, I mean, using him as the playmaking hub will be interesting, um, or, or just be able to score at that rate. So, I, I do feel like a big KD game is coming. A big KD yes. scoring game is coming, whether mm-hmm. it's thirty five, forty, whatever it is, but. We haven't seen him get to the line 10 times uh, mm-hmm. in the series so far, I, I believe, um, because 
I remember game was it game two against the Clippers? I can't remember which one, but like he got to the line ten times, and yes. it, it was just a calming presence. Um, mm-hmm. you, you give yourself a chance to rest in those moments, and you tack on points because he's a ninety percent free throw shooter. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think there's going to be avenues for that as well. So I don't know, just a lot to look forward to for game three when it comes to both sides of the ball. But I, I'm more fascinated by the Suns' offense because the, it should not be in the mud. The, to mm-hmm. the degree that it is their defense i can live with um they got to figure out what i think they have figured out like what they want to uh allow what they don't want to allow and mm-hmm. they just got they got they got the tape they got the film to look at and see what they did on murray it's there it's evidence mm-hmm. like like mm-hmm. you just got to replicate that and that's going to be that's going to be a challenge because great stars like jamal murray you know uh although he he hasn't really he hasn't made an all-star team or anything like that but like great playoff performers like that they will figure it out so you gotta you gotta try to replicate what you did in game two but i'm more concerned about their offense for the suns and uh i'm with you i think i'm with you like the footprint center like once they Mm -hmm. get home Mm -hmm. uh, shots will fall they will they will get better looks um they will feed off the energy more transition opportunities was there four fast break points in game two total for the entire game I don't know the exact number, but that would definitely match the eye test in terms of it being like, that muddy. <laughs> exactly. Like, it was just a half-court grinded out. But mm-hmm. um, I do trust the Suns to get uh, to get game three. I, I I just, if you ask me, you know, if it's going to be 2-2 going back to five, to, back to Denver for five, I'm not sure. But uh, I do think an avalanche is coming for the Suns finally. I think you made multiple great points. And I think getting that, specifically looking at Kevin Durant again, we haven't quite seen, and again, when I say we, I'm mentioning we as everybody that's observing a game, whether that be yeah. analyst or fan. That way everybody feels included. I don't think we've seen Kevin Durant have a true Kevin Durant game as a Phoenix Sun in the playoffs yet in terms of where he takes a opposing team's defensive game plan and completely flips, his own, flips it on his head like, no, nah, I'm Kevin Durant. I'm one of the best scorers ever to touch the hardwood, and I'm going to show you exactly why I am on this specific stage. Yeah. I think some of the credit. I think you do yeah, have to give him sure. credit because you have to mm-hmm. give him credit for pulling up from three. Um, mm-hmm. he, he heard all the stuff about the math problem, and mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. made a joke. Like, you know, he pulled up for three. I said, he probably said, F your math game right there. Because, like, <laughs> he, took, dude, he took a lot of pull-up threes in game Early, two. too. Early. And, mm-hmm. and, and a, if those fall, we're having a different conversation. So credit to him for adjusting and, and being more aggressive there. Mm-hmm. And I think in alignment with that, credit to him for giving Devin Booker the space to not feel like he's going to overbear or step on his toes in any sense because Devin Booker coming into this series is averaging 37. Yeah. And, you know, what are you going to do when you got a teammate that's that's operating as the best scorer sans uh, Jimmy Butler across the entire playoffs at that point? Like, I think it's a big credit to the discernment in the field that Devin Booker and Kevin Durant have for each other. I think now they're both kind of fizzled off and they're kind of at a neutral level in terms of who's scoring more who has more of a profound impact with their scoring on this specific series it lends itself to both players playing with their foot on the gas rather than one person kind of taking a one b a run b roll while the, to the other person's one a and i think that especially coming back home Devin booker is going to do what he does and we haven't spoken that much about him but i think his drives are going to continue to be important for this team yeah. but looking at kevin durant I think he has a 50-piece in his bag uh, between these next two games (laughs) at the Footprint Center just because of the fact that you don't have a direct matchup for him from the Nuggets, and you can see the wheel spinning in terms of him understanding what pockets he's going to be able to more easily navigate to 
within yeah. the Nuggets defense, especially once they start getting into the small ball rotation with Jokic on, on, on the bench. And then in addition to that, like you mentioned, he hasn't even seen that many free throw attempts yeah. over these first two games. You if he gets the whistle, whistle, the whistle's exactly. going to at some point. So. so the whistle, in addition to him understanding and figuring out the Nuggets defense, not just from a one-person matchup, but where the help might be coming from and things like that, having that type of feel as a scorer, if you combine those two, I think it's going to make for something that reminds people why KD is who he is and why it took the mother load of a trade yeah. in player and pick compensation to get a player like him. You get him for these stages in these moments where there's adversity and Again, you don't get a, a player like Kevin Durant doesn't become great without going against the grain in adversity over the course of his career multiple times. And here's yet another opportunity for him to do just that. Uh, in addition to Devin Booker, which I wanted to mm-hmm. kind of speak to just a little bit before we uh, before we get out of here. Um, Devin Booker has not had a bad series by any stretch of the imagination. Shane, you already spoke to the blend of playmaking and scoring that he showed in that third quarter of game two and how it just really spoke to the level of growth and the evolution of his game, even from just 365 days ago when they were going against the the Dallas Mavericks in the second round last season. Uh, Just his process and speed on offense, in addition to him showing that there's a different level of defense that he can consistently sustain, I think all of those things kind of being parlayed into one makes him prime for essentially playing more point book, which he saw in the seasons prior to Chris Paul coming to the the Phoenix Suns. I think it's going to be important for him to tap back into that role and be able to better blend his scoring and uh, playmaking feel while also continuing to just apply pressure to the defense. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on Devin Booker specifically in these next two games? Uh, I just think I echo what you just said. I mean, uh, it's it's remarkable to watch him. I think after game three, when he had 45 against the Clippers, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote that he's a force to be reckoned with in the mm-hmm. league because, you know, I kind of went into it in my article and everything, but the way he he can toggle, he's one of the few guards in the world that can really expertly toggle between score, playmaker, score, playmaker, back and forth. And Mm -hmm. if a situation calls for 12 straight points and four straight buckets, he's given you that. If it calls for him, not really, um, he's always going to look at the basket score, but really not uh, being in that mentality for a six minute period. He'll do that as well. He'll let CP cook, you know, or Mm -hmm. he'll, uh, he'll be a spacer or he'll just be the the initiator and pick and roll. So I I think um, for him being this, this young and, I just think it bodes well for this team and, and something I was thinking about as you were talking right there was if this is the worst. And I mean, if this is the worst, that's that uh book and Katie look as a tandem, I think you're in really good shape for the next couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. As Katie, you know, what, what is Katie 34? Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, he, he has a, a few more years before, you know, you can really expect some, uh, some regression or you can, you can expect him to really slow down, but he's in tip top shape and book is only, only entering his prime. So if this is the worst it looks, then I think you, I think you're uh, no matter what happens in this series, you can always count on those two being in the second or third round at minimum for the next few years. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I also do think that kind of speaking to like we did with with Kevin Durant facing adversity consistently and more often than not rising to the occasion over the course of his career. I think Devin Booker in his young career, of course, they faced adversity last last season, uh, particularly in the playoffs when he came back from his hamstring injury uh, going up against the Dallas Mavericks. 
they did not answer the bell against that adversity, here lies yet another opportunity to kind of restructure themselves and regather themselves. In that first season that Devin Booker made the playoffs in 2020-2021, the season after the bubble, we Mm. saw them advance to the finals. They had some adversity moments where Chris Paul was out with the shoulder injury against the the Lakers. And, you know, we saw Devin Booker have uh, one of the best closeout games, especially for a player under 25 in NBA history. And then we also saw him answer the bell multiple times uh, moving after that. Of course, they went they went through the Nuggets without Jamal Murray in that second round, but against the Clippers, Chris Paul was out with uh, with COVID to start that series. And there were moments where Devin Booker had to rise to the occasion. And, you know, he showed that he was able to do so. So the point being with that, that he's shown that he can, and he's also showed that there's been moments where it kind of leaves a little bit more to be desired. This yeah. is a moment for him to get back to answering that direct question in terms of assessing him with a player like Jason Tatum or a player like Jalen Brown, who showed that they could do it last season. Here's another opportunity, even though he has the injury adversity going against him yeah. to potentially, you know, rewrite some of that that we saw from last season. And these are the, op- these are the moments that really make the legends and really let us know kind of who is who in terms of who's really cut to be the 16 yeah, game I- player versus the 82 game players. Yeah, and if you're Denver, you want to kind of step on their throats immediately because uh, I'm sorry, but you don't want to give Kevin Wayne Durant and <laughs> Devin Armani Booker any confidence going mm-hmm. back for Game Five. Like you kind of want <laughs> you want to be at three um, one mm-hmm. at minimum. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I think all the you know the pressure's in, the pressure is on Phoenix right now. Uh, mm-hmm. If you get a, if you get both these home wins, the pressure changes. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think the cherry on top of all of that would be if they could win both of these games going back to Denver even and then have Chris Paul's graces being back in the mix as well. Cause that kind of what LB man, man, that's 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 so tough. That's so tough. Uh and I know you just wrote about him for Forbes, yeah. actually. That's another another point to make. Um if you haven't There's checked out any exchange work, definitely check it out, man. He just wrote about the the lack of luck in terms of injury that Chris has yeah. seen over the course of his playoff season or career specifically. Dude, 10 years, 10 years, mm-hmm. man. Uh, now, mm-hmm. there has been a couple of years, like the 2020 bubble, which, I mean, come on. If there was a year mm-hmm. that he could have afforded an injury, it was when he was with OKC and they didn't have a shot to win anything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it's just kind of funny that it happened, that it didn't happen there. But 2017 mm-hmm. and 2020 are the only two years. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, he was, last year he was healthy uh, physically, but mm-hmm. again, we don't know what was confirmed about the sickness and all that. So, mm-hmm. um they just lost. They just flat out lost to Dallas. So I guess you can count that as a healthy loss. But every other year, man, it's been something. It's been something he's been dealing with. And uh, for a guy that has aged gracefully as a 38-year-old who turns 38 on uh, this weekend, uh, mm-hmm. a 38-year-old point guard that should not be as good as he is at this at this age because he's five foot ten, five eleven. Like if you stay next to him, mm-hmm. man, like he's not six foot. Like it's a mm-hmm. he's cra- it's crazy. He's not that. He's not the freak athlete that Russell Westbrook is either. Exactly. In addition to that, he, mm-hmm. he should not be as good as he is now. Um, he should have tailed off a long time ago. But you would just hope that a guy like that gets lucky for once. But you know, hopefully he's back before Game Five. Yeah, I agree with everything that you just mentioned. Um, all right, so to kind of round these off, let's get a prediction out of you, my man. Um, <laughs> where do you think this series will be after we uh, transition back to Denver? Uh, assuming that you have the Suns winning one of these two games, I might add. <laughs> no, the season's over. <laughs> no. Uh, so I so 
this is getting really specific, but I think we're going to, I think we're going to have a blowout win for the Suns at some, like, I wouldn't say blowout. I would say like, you know, 50, I think we're gonna have a convincing Suns win in the manner that Denver had a convincing game one win. I think Mm -hmm. that's going to be in game three or four. And then the other game is going to be a close uh, grinded out battle. So I do think it's two, two. I'm just going to trust the superstar power at home. And I, I think you, you hit on this a couple times earlier, Stephen, but like role players play so much better at home. Like if mm-hmm. there was a moment for Terrence Ross and TJ Warren or somebody of that ilk to come in and, and contribute, it's at home. I don't really think it's it's in the first two games of a, of a fill out series on the road. Um, so I kind of understand why Monty didn't really go to those guys if you don't trust them. But at home, I think you have a little bit more leash with those guys. So I think we're going to have a uh, some positive com- contributions from Terrence Ross or someone like that off the mm-hmm. bench that we don't really expect. And uh, I think I think it's going to be 2-2 going back to mile high. I do think it'll be 2-2 as well. Um, I think my prediction for the Suns winning this series in six went out the window after they lost oh, yeah. game two. Yeah. Regardless of whether Chris Paul was playing or not, I think the fact that they lost that game went out the window. And just kind of bringing it back to the Chris Paul point, I do think that even amidst the multitude of injuries that we've seen them have on this stage in the playoffs, even though they did concede a lot of their depth to get Kevin Durant, I think there's no better team that he's been on that's been better set to potentially absorb the loss of his uh, contributions than this team that he's on right now. Uh, Having two top-end talents, potential, wherever you have Devin Booker ranks, two potential top 12 to top 15 players on one team. There's no team uh, better for that. I would say the 2018 Rockets were pretty well-suited, but they just missed Mm -hmm. 27 straight threes and Uh, (laughs) couldn't close. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Do we talk for another hour on that one? Oh, man. But uh, if you didn't have any more thoughts, we can go ahead and kind of round this thing out. I think I think we covered a lot, man. We covered on both sides of the ball for both teams. So uh, just want to say, man, you're one of the best at X's nose, man. Like I, I I learned a lot from your videos as well. So just keep doing what you're doing, man. And thanks for having me on. I think it's uh, I think it's awesome what you've been doing, and and hopefully you get to go to more obviously more uh, opportunities to go to more games and stuff, whether it's in Chicago or Milwaukee. So. Just awesome senior growth, uh, just like Devin Booker's. <laughs> so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I can get there. To Chicago, I'm only a four hour drive from Chicago, so hopefully one day we can probably do a podcast in person or, or be the same game, man. Yeah, sounds good. I'm definitely looking forward to that, and I appreciate your kind words. It means a lot coming from somebody that I that I truly kind of look up to in this media space. So it, it means everything to me. Man, I, we, we all do different things. Like I like I'm I do love X's and O's, but I wouldn't say I'm as well versed as other people like yourself in it and stuff. So I'm more so in the uh, I would say like big picture things. So I, I think we mm-hmm. can all learn from take something from each other. It's awesome. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of the space that we're operating in is that it doesn't have to be a competition. Everybody can kind of learn something from someone else so you can kind of compliment each other in that way. Uh, All right. So to kind of round things out again, if you don't follow Shane, I highly advise it. You'll learn something. You'll appreciate the game more and you'll appreciate the media side of when it's used for a positive way to impact in the encore product that we all know and love. So if you don't follow Shane, you can follow him on Twitter at Young NBA, that's Y-O-U-N-G NBA. And again, he writes for Forbes. He also has his sub stack that he recently started. There's yeah. going to be plenty of fun stuff coming there. So definitely subscribe to that. 
as well as following his content on Twitter that he always produces as well. So uh, without further ado, this is episode three or four of the Sun Study with Steven. This time with our first guest. Also, you're the, the first guest to have on this specific pod. So congratulations there. I couldn't think of anybody better to have in this moment. So uh, from Shane, I'm Steven. Peace. Peace.